the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. We close another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program committed to taking your phone calls, answering Bible questions, questions about anything going on in your life, anything and everything on your heart. You need only to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, I want to warn you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, a lot to talk about just before we get into the questions, so please bear with me. The first thing is, I'm going on vacation, so this will be my last program for a couple of weeks. Pastor Ken will be doing the program live next week, and he would love to hear from you and your questions. And he is younger and a lot smarter than I am, so you can hit him with the really, really difficult questions. But Paul and I will be leaving early Monday morning, right after our Sunday service here, uh, to uh, our normal vacation spot. And we would appreciate it knowing that people are praying for us. We're really longing to hear the voice of the Lord. This is that time when we sort of just get away from everything. We're never out of con- connection or out of touch with it with the people here. But um, but we just try to get away, and, and we want to hear from the Lord. We We want to, need to get a little bit refreshed, and um, I'm I'm really trusting the Lord is going to speak to our heart. And there's so much going on; uh, we got a lot of questions to ask. So pray that the Lord would give us ears to hear, and then of course pray for Pastor Ken next week on the radio program, and then the following week we will have some repeat bar- broadcasts uh, for that week. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be teaching out of the Song of Songs. Uh, it's a special message. Um, um, I've been doing marriage on the last two Sundays here at uh, Calvary Chapel. And uh, I just thought, well, I don't want to start a new book before vacation. So um, what we'll do is we'll come back and talk about marriage. But we're going to talk about intimacy in marriage uh, today. And one of the great love stories in in the history of the world uh, and especially as it relates to each and every one of us as Christians. So uh, you can watch it at calvarysa.com tonight. Um, we hope uh, if you're available and you're out in the area, you might stop by and say hi to us. That would be great. Okay, did I forget anything? I don't think I've forgotten anything. Right? Prayer, but my producer was counting down. Okay, you got one Bible study tonight. You got prayer in the morning, then pastor's discipleship class uh, after prayer, and then you got three services on Sunday, and then vacation starts. So that's what we're looking forward to. 
Here is uh, the first question today while we await your phone calls. Maria, she asks, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, Paul says the labor is worthy of his hire. What does that mean in context? Uh, Maria, what Paul is doing there is speaking about uh, those who are entrusted with the word of God and and that they should be counted worthy. In fact, he uses the term double honor. That doesn't mean double the amount of pay, but double honor certainly including uh, his pay. Um, when we're sharing spiritual things and the people ought to share um, uh, material things with us. Uh, and he's saying, look, uh, and, and while Paul didn't use this uh, freedom uh, in his own ministry, what he's saying is, Timothy, this is the standard, and this has certainly been the standard, when somebody is a, a pastor or a Bible teacher, somebody's blessing you, then they're worthy of getting paid for it. Now, should they get paid enormous amounts of money? No, that that would be silly. But Paul is saying uh, those who make their living from from um, the gospel have a right to earn their living. Now, I'm aware, Maria, and we get the question maybe every two or three months, uh, somebody is upset about the amount of money that pastors make. And, and well, you know, if you really love God, you do it for free. Well, uh, I, by the way, I would do it for free. Um, but the, 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 the reality is... Um, the people that are teaching the Word of God, they've got bills, they've got families to support. Many times their families are young families, and their children uh, weren't called by God into the ministry. Uh, they're following the Father who is. And um, and Paul is simply saying those are the people that are worthy of being paid. They're doing a good thing, they're answering the call of God, and they should make their living from it. So, Maria, I hope that helps. One more thing on this, Maria. Um, uh, we've planted a lot of churches out of our church. And I tell all of the pastors that the one thing that your church needs more than anything else, more than a building, more than uh, uh, sound equipment or recording equipment, uh, the one thing a church needs is um, their pastor available to them. And so I'm trying to, I've always tried to encourage uh, the men that we send out to start um, trusting God, um, going full-time in ministry, being available. And I believe, and I always tell them this, that God will provide for them. I think sometimes it doesn't make sense. Well, how our church doesn't have very much, and how could we survive? I think that's when the pastor needs to learn that this is a test from God. Do you trust me? That's what God is asking. Do you trust me? And I believe very strongly that um, since we have to teach what we or I should say, what practice what we teach, um, I think this is one of the areas that God calls us to a lot. Churches need their pastors available to them, and then God does the rest of the work. Thank you, Maria. I appreciate uh, your, your question. Here is an anonymous question. Pastor Ron, I see so much injustice in the world. Why does God allow it? Well, anonymous, God allows the injustice in the world uh, because if he put a stop to it, everybody who is unjust would have to die. They'd have to pay for it. And that includes a lot of us. You know, we do a lot of unjust things. We're typically not talking about our injustice. We're talking about the injustice that we see in the world. Um, powerful people taking advantage of, of uh, smaller people. Um, uh, just all kinds of horrible things that we see in the earth. Um, remember, this is a fallen world. And one day, Anonymous, God is going to put a stop to it. And the reason he's going to put a stop to it is as simple as it can possibly be. Because his holiness and justice needs to return. When Jesus comes, he's going to bring all of that with him. Now, if he stopped it today, and I always use the same example, but let's just talk about injustice in the world. If God stopped sin, if God stopped unfairness today, if God punished disobedience today, there wouldn't be anybody left standing. That's the world that we live in. There would be nobody left standing. And what that means is simple. And I use this example because it hits home. If somebody had sex with somebody yesterday that they're not married to, then they would pay with their life. That's what's going to happen in the end when Jesus returns to reclaim this world for his kingdom. 
And we say, well, that's not so. That's not the justice I'm talking about. Well, you see, God doesn't differentiate between justice and injustice. Anything other than perfect justice and perfect love is injustice. And when you see the injustice in the world, Anonymous, here's what we should do. We should pray for Jesus to return. And then we should get really busy sharing with people the fact that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back soon. And then we share the gospel. We tell them how to get saved and how to have their injustice wiped clean by the blood of Jesus. And if we really were concerned about injustice, we would be hyperactive in sharing the gospel everywhere we went. And I think most often, Anonymous, when I get a question like this, it's just the injustice that some people see. And God looks at injustice. All sin separates us from him, and he's going to even the scales one day. But it's going to cost everybody who doesn't know him their life. That's what we have to look forward to, a perfect world where there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow. I always say no more lawyers, no more political commercials, no more politicians lying to us and breaking their promises. That's the world that Jesus is going to bring with him. So the the best way for you to approach this, uh, Anonymous, is to pray for his speedy return. Here is a question from William. Pastor, I pray for our president, but I'm afraid he's ruining our country. (laughs) Should I pray that he gets removed? Um, No, William, pray that he gets saved. Pray that he gets saved. You know, I don't know how other people, I know how a lot of people view President Biden. Um, But, but, you know, what I see is elder abuse. He's being taken advantage of. He's being controlled by the power brokers around him. And they're running this man into the grave and they're running him into a place where he can no longer keep a thought process straight. So um, pray for his health. But most of all, pray that he gets saved. He is on the very verge of of, uh, bending the knee and confessing Jesus is the Lord in the presence of the Lord, and it's not going to be a a happy moment for him. So pray that he gets saved. I personally think, William, that's how we ought to pray for our politicians, regardless of the side of the, 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 the aisle they're on. You know, we who are conservative, you know, we have a tendency to, to, to pray that our conservative politicians get elected. They're not saved, most of them. Almost all of them, they're not saved. And they're going to stand a greater judgment to much is given, much is required, Jesus said. And these are the people that God has given privilege to, and he's given them opportunity Uh, And he's put them in positions where they're supposed to do what's right for the people that they're serving. And they're going to stand before God and, and, and perish in his presence. So we need to be praying. This is the most political prayer we can have. Lord, save them. Save our president. Save our vice president. Save our senators and our representatives. Save our local mayors. Save our state legislators, uh, our city councils, our school boards. The people need to get saved because they cannot. It is impossible for them to make wise, just decisions uh, if they don't know Jesus Christ. So um, our country has been being ruined for a very long time. And um, this president didn't cause it. Now, he's done some horrible things. He's, he's made some terrible judgments and policy decisions, uh, to be sure. However, the Bible seems to indicate, if you look at the history of the kings in First and Second, actually, you can go back to Samuel, to First Samuel, Second Samuel for um, um, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. The Bible makes the case, William, that we get the leadership we deserve. And if that's the case, we stand together as a people in this nation under the judgment of God. So pray for revival. Pray that people get saved. That would be the best and the most effective prayer. It would be one, I think, that would please the Lord as well. well. Let me say one more thing, William. You didn't mention this, and so uh, I don't mean this directed to you personally. But remember, we Christians, 
we Christians should not speak ill of these people that are in authority over us, whether we agree with them or not. You can say somebody's doing a bad job like I just did. That's not speaking ill. That's just from my perspective, um, a judgment on the work that this president is doing. But to speak ill or to wish ill upon them is a sin that God takes very, very seriously. And it's our responsibility to pray for uh, those who are in positions of authority. And as I said earlier, the most effective prayer is that prayer where we can say, Jesus, save them. Save them, please. So, William, I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Hey, 340-9585. We'd love to have your phone calls to close out our Friday show today. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, it's 877-TOLL-FREE, 877-630-KSLR. Here is an anonymous question. Is it okay for a Christian to feel strongly about the need to keep the Jewish Sabbath? Um, yeah, it's okay. You're wrong, but it's okay. I, I, I never understand, and we always get the people to say, well, this is a covenant forever, and you're supposed to, the Sabbath is Saturday. Uh, all you have to do is read your Bible. Study to show yourself approved, a workman, workwoman, rightly dividing the word, and you're going to find that the commandment to worship on the Sabbath, Saturday, the seventh day, uh, is a commandment written only to Israel. It is a part of the Old Covenant, and in fact, it is the single commandment that most religious and legalistic Jews during Jesus' day, um, that, that's the, the one they felt the most strongly about. Um, however, Hebrews says, Jesus said it himself, that when a new covenant came, it nullified the old one. Why are we still talking about a covenant that has been canceled? Because Jesus fulfilled that covenant. Why don't we look at the book of Acts and see that it was very early when the Christians, New Testament, New Covenant Christians, they began to meet on Sunday, the first day of the week, in honor of the resurrection of our Lord. It was the most important day um, um, of the week for for the early church. Remember, it was entirely Jewish. And yet, Sunday is when they began to worship, the first day of the week. Um, it, it is the day that we ought to recognize some 2,000 years later because there is nothing more important to our faith as a foundation than the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. And, and normally, you know, the, 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 the Christians who keep the Sabbath and they're adamant about it, especially Seventh-day Adventists, but there are others. Um, you know, they're not really keeping the Sabbath. If they're going to go back into the Old Testament law, there's a whole bunch of things that they're doing that, that Jews weren't permitted to do on the Sabbath. And yet they don't think of it that, well, as long as I go to church on Saturday, it's okay. Now, is it okay to go to church on Saturday? Of course it is. Of course it is. But to be stubborn about observing the Jewish Sabbath when that covenant has been canceled, um, it just makes no sense to me. Paul uh, was dealing with this problem with the churches in Galatia. Uh, specifically, but but also in Colossae, there were legalists saying that you've got to become Jewish, you've got to be circumcised, you've got to worship on the Sabbath and all these other things that you had to do, keeping the festivals. And Paul said, stop it, stop it. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? And then he said that we who are believers can esteem all days the same. And of course, Hebrews chapter 4 gives us the foundation for that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. The Sabbath was a picture of the world's need to receive Jesus Christ. And since all that's happened, then um, Anonymous, if you want to worship on Saturday, go ahead and worship on Saturday. But it really is sinful to insist or even to, to argue that other Christians ought to do the same thing. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is um, you just haven't really studied your Bible. Get out of Exodus. Get out of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And then meet with Jesus when he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. 
written in my blood. The old is gone and the new has come. Thank you for the question. Here's a question from Brianna. Brianna, people have been arguing about this for a long time. When does a fetus get a soul and become a person? David says, and I'm not looking at the psalm directly, but David says that God knits us together in our womb. He knew us from the beginning. And the answer to your question, Brianna, is that is no longer a fetus at conception. At conception, uh, that fetus becomes a child, a boy child or a girl child, but a child nonetheless. And when David said uh, he was a sinner from birth, sinful from birth, um, um, surely you knew all about me. Um, this is the process that God created um, to populate the earth. And he doesn't populate the earth with fetuses. He populates the earth with people. And it happens almost instantly. Thank you. My producer just said Psalm 139, verse 13 is a reference. Psalm 51 is also another reference for that. So um, um, personhood occurs um, as soon as somebody finds out they're pregnant. They're pregnant with a person, not with a massive tissue. Now, the question, of course, is, well, why are we having this argument? And the answer, Brianna, has always been the same. It's because people want to sin and escape the consequences. People want to sin without consequence. And so they have sex. They know God says having sex with somebody you're not married to is wrong. It's immorality. And then when pregnancy occurs... um, We're shocked and we don't want the baby to inconvenience our life. And so we kill it. Now, we've got all kinds of politically correct words for it. It's women's health care. It's a woman's right to choose. But when does the baby get to choose? What if that was a girl baby? She didn't get a choice about her body. So a, a baby at conception is a person and a person has a spirit or a soul. It's interchangeable, those two terms. And it happens right away. So, Brianna, I don't know what your motive is for asking the question, but believe me, um, if you're getting morning sickness, it's because there's a person in there upsetting everything in your system. A baby is growing in your womb, a baby that God loves very, very much. I think we have time for one more of this half of the program. Uh, This one is from Jan. Uh, Are we supposed to submit to our spiritual leaders? No, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I don't see well. So she says, we are supposed to submit to our spiritual leaders. But where does that stop? Are we supposed to do anything they ask? Jan, um, you know, just like a a wife is supposed to submit to her husband, um, the, the caveat there is as unto the Lord. Um, when you've got a spiritual leader who is serving God, a spiritual leader who's rightly representing Jesus, a spiritual leader who loves you and wants only the best for you, um, that's a spiritual leader that you should submit to. Now, that doesn't mean that that if that same person sort of flips a switch and starts asking you to do ungodly things. And by the way, wives, the same thing is true for you. If your husband asks you to do ungodly things, you have to say no. You know, the submit word doesn't mean that we're robots and we have no choice in the matter. Uh, we always have a choice, Jan, and our choice is to, to honor God with our behavior. So what we do is we submit to them as unto the Lord. That means we trust God enough that even when we disagree with what they're doing, then we're going to, without causing difficulty, we're going to, to, to follow them. We're going to be obedient. And it doesn't mean we have to be quiet. It doesn't mean that we don't have a right to share our heart. Husbands and wives certainly ought to be able to talk. The same thing is true with with uh, people in a, in a particular church when they're speaking to their pastors. If there's something they don't understand or something that's that's causing them some consternation, then they can talk to their pastor about that. But as long as they're not asking you to do something that is sin or ungodly, or, and I can even qualify a little bit more, something that violates your conscience. 
well, then you ought to submit to their spiritual authority over you. Now, let me say this from the other direction. As a pastor, I have no authority over anybody's life. I have the authority given to me by God. That means I teach the word. That means that um, um, as I teach the word, I can tell them what's right and what's wrong. But I have no authority over anybody's life. Nobody in this church comes to me and asks if they should um, do this or do that. That's between them and the Lord. I don't exercise control over anybody in this church, authority or no. And so um, we shouldn't be pulling that card. Uh, I only, I try, now sometimes I mess up, but I try not even to give advice unless people ask for it. Because their heart has to be ready to hear what the Lord wants to say to them. So you submit to your spiritual leaders, you do it with joy, you do it by faith, and you do it because they have been given the responsibility to represent Jesus to you. And that's uh, that ought to be a joy, it ought to be a delight for you to do so. Jen, thank you. Well, I've only got 30 minutes left before I go on vacation, so if you're going to call, you better call 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our last 30 minutes. You know, even when you're waiting to go on vacation, even the two-minute break seemed like it took longer. 340-9585. Let's go to our first call of the day. Victor on line one from San Antonio. Victor, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir, Pastor Ron. I hope you, I'm sure you'll enjoy your vacation and it'll be a good break for you. Uh, my question Thank is you, on uh, the subject of hermeneutics. Uh, you know how uh, there's so much different interpretations and probably part of the reason why there's so many different denominations and that sort of thing. Um, and then uh, as far as the principles of interpretation of hermeneutics, there's uh, you know, anywhere from five to twelve principles. I was wondering if you could talk about that and and what what is it? What is the cause of? Does that have anything to do with the cause of uh, different uh, interpretations? Uh, uh, you know, uh, of uh, essential doctrine, uh, mm-hmm. and also if if uh, I'm going to hang up and listen on the radio, but. Also, if you have uh, maybe a textbook recommendation for me, and I'm going to hang up and uh, listen to you on the radio. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Yeah, thank thank you, Victor. I can do that. Um, Yeah, a couple of things. First, Victor, you know, um, I don't think that the problem with the difficulty in or the differences in interpretation really fall back to hermeneutics. I think systematic theology is to blame. Um, systematic theology, and there's all kinds of systematic theology books out there. All you have to do is Google some. Gruden has has one that's popular, and, and, and of course he's a Calvinist. But, we, but here's what happens. We have a systematic theology and sort of like lays a filter over the, the pages of the Bible, and then we can only read the Bible through that filter, and it ought to be just the other way around. Um, we ought to have, uh, have the Bible form our systematic theology. And if if you read the Bible and take what it says at face value, it will develop into a systematic theology, but then it's a biblical. Excuse me, I had to clear my throat. It will develop into a a biblical systemology. And uh, if you you, uh, really understand that, then um, you, you won't be influenced by somebody else's systematic theology um, in, in in a case like that. So I think that's the biggest problem. Um, let me give you a couple of um, wonderful examples. Um, 
um, uh, Eugene Peterson, who I'm not a huge fan of. He's he's with Jesus now. But he's got some books on preaching that are really, really good. Uh, there's a guy named Haddon Robinson, and I think he just went to be with the Lord as well. But he's got some of the best stuff on hermeneutics and preaching. Uh, it's H-A-D-D-O-N and then Robinson, just the way it sounds. Uh, he's got a lot of stuff, and you can find a lot of his stuff on YouTube as well um, when he would go out and, and teach hermeneutics. Um, uh, a, a guy that I know personally, David Hawking, uh, he has a book on hermeneutics that's exceptional. And then I think maybe the best one of all, is John R.W. Stott. He's got some books on preaching and hermeneutics um, that that I think are superior to anything else that I've seen. So those would be the ones, that's S-T-O-T-T, those would be the ones that I would go for, Victor. But again, I think the thing that we have to understand is before we do a lot of reading, we need to be familiar with our Bible. Not the other way around. If you read a systematic theology by Gruden, then you're not going to understand the Bible except as it's explained by Calvinism. And that's simply um, not an honest way to interpret what the Scripture says. So uh, let me make one other suggestion. Um, There there is a a Bible study, OIA. It's observation interpretation, and application. And um, um, if you'll look that up, um, that's the best way to develop your own systematic theology, and that will give you an understanding. Now, there are some basic rules. Uh, For example, um, uh, when Paul says, I don't permit a woman to speak uh, in church, it's 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, in, in the later chapters. And when he says that, He's dealing with a, a, a local situation, an out-of-control church. Um, but, but when he says to Timothy, speaking in the context of church order, um, I do not permit a woman to teach her of authority over a man in the church, he appeals to Genesis as the foundation. That hermeneutic says that is a rule that applies to every church for all time, not not like the one in First Corinthians, but instead... Um, uh, in church, this is the rule that Paul lays down in all the churches. I do not permit a woman to teach you have authority of the church. And then he explains that decision by going back to Genesis. And so you, you'll, you'll find those things. Um, there, there's something else I think that you need to, to do as you're, as you're studying hermeneutics. You need to look at the Bible, reading the passage of Scripture in context. You have to identify the audience that is being addressed and the purpose of the book. What's Paul dealing with if it's Paul? Or what's Peter dealing with if it's Peter? Uh, and then you do that. But but reading it um, from a dispensational perspective, who is God speaking to? What did he intend to say? Good question, Victor. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Jimmy online too. Jimmy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hello. Mm, I agree with you, Will, about praying. Hi, Jimmy. Hi, sir. Uh, I agree with you about praying for the president and and asking him to be saved. And um, there's times I do get mad, I get upset with him. But and I say, well, no, Lord, you know, I do tell people we need to pray for him. We need to pray for him to get saved because he's he's lost. But this is my question: when the trumpet sounds, right, it's going to be really loud, right? Like real loud. Is that how everybody's <laughs> going to hear? Everybody's going to hear it. The whole world is going to hear it. Yeah, right? J- Jimmy. No, but believers are going to hear it. But it's not a literal trumpet. That's the thing oh. that we need to understand. It's not, uh, uh, you know, uh, Doc Severinsen playing the horn in heaven. It's it's the trumpet call. You have to understand the Jewish context of the passages. Um, Jews would understand there were separate trumpet calls, shofars. And there were different sounds that 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 would make that would would signify uh, for one one example it's it's time to get up and move or it's time to to settle um, but but when it was time to go there was a very specific trumpet call there would be a battle call a, a battle charge call in a war 
in, in, in a battle, they, they couldn't hear the orders, so there was just these shofars, these trumpets who were doing it. So that's symbolic language, and yet it will be a very clear call uh, for us. I like to call it not a trumpet call, but a clarion call. It will be very, very clear to those of us who are believers. And, and the time, is it's a nanosecond or less, you know, the, the twinkling of an eye. The, the moment we hear it will be in his presence. So that's what we have to remember. But that is a, a, an exhortation to be ready at any moment because when we hear that call, then, then that means Jesus is calling us to be with him. So that's what that means, Jimmy. Can I say one other thing about your first comment? Um, you know, one of the reasons, and, and I, I so appreciate you, Jimmy, because you're you're so honest with us. But when you said that there's sometimes I get upset with him, I get angry with him, and we all do. But those are flesh checks. And that gives us an opportunity to say, Lord, you love him. And I need that reminder because there's times when people uh, do things that are just horrible, and I, I, I want to get frustrated and I have to actually go through the process of reminding myself, wait a minute, Jesus, you love him or you love her. And and I think that's a really good thing, Jimmy. We need that reminder. Always that's God's perspective. Thank you, Jim. Do you have any other questions? No, sir. That's cool. Um, I just wanted to know what that trumpet was going to I thought it was going to sound like really yep. loud. It's, <laughs> yep. right. We'll hear it, but it, but you. it's not a real trumpet. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. You know, whenever I answer questions like that, um, um, it, it always bums people out because, well, wait a minute. I'm wait- I, I thought there'd be a real trumpet. Another one is, um, uh, well, I want to sit in my father's lap in heaven. Well, he doesn't really have a lap, those kind of things. But um, we, need to, we need to rightly divide the word of God. Jimmy, thank you. Appreciate the call. 340-9585 for your live calls. Here is a question from our mobile app from Scott. He said a poll taken recently says that the number of adults who believe in God has dropped by 6% since 2017. I don't take much stock in these types of polls, especially as it compares to population, because not only are most of the questions tweaked towards the questioner's liking, but even more so the population here on Earth as a rule, actually increases. So a drop of 6% doesn't really uh, mean less people um, don't believe in God. Is the poll a surprise to you? Um, I'll tell you, Scott, what, what's a surprise to me is that, um, that, that it's only 6%, and I don't know what the source of the poll you have is. Uh, but we need to remember, when the questions are asked on these polls, it's whether, do you believe in God? Are you a Christian? And there are, almost everybody in this country says they're a Christian. I mean, we got, I don't know, a billion Catholics, um, um, and they would all say they're Christian. Jesus said the only Christians are born-again Christians. Um, I've got some numbers here in a, a 2020 survey by the Pew Research Center, and that seems to be the new darling of the media in terms of polls. It says that 65% of the adults in the United States identify as Christians. Uh, They were 75% in 2015, 70.6% in 14, 78% in 2012, and 81.6% in 2001. Now think about that for a moment. Has there ever been a time in our nation, and that goes from 2001 all the way to 2020, the numbers that I just read, has there ever been a time when there were that many Christians in this country? You see, everybody thinks they're going to heaven. Everybody thinks they're saved. Everybody thinks that that God is going to welcome them in. And that's just not true. If it was true that even in the latest poll, that 65% number that would classify as a revival. And, of course, we're simply not seeing any fruit of a revival. So um, one of the things we always have to do with these surveys is understand what's in it for them. They're selling information, and they want to sell to churches, Pew in particular. They want to sell to churches these numbers and and their suggestions about what we can do to increase those numbers or to stop the slide of people that we're so-called losing. Now, my Bible says that Jesus, speaking to his disciples, I've lost none. 
that you've given me, he says to his father. It's impossible for God to lose any of us. And so we've got, we've got these things, well, you know, we're losing a whole generation. No, we're not. That generation never belonged to God. Kids go to university and we're losing them. No, we're not losing anybody that, that's in Jesus' hand. That's just the tree of choice where they've got to decide, are they going to do what they were taught to do or are they going to do what uh, taught by God to do growing up or are they going to do what they want to do? And the reality, Scott, is that most of those people make the choice to do what they want to do because they were never really born again in the first place. And I think we really need to be careful about those kinds of numbers because there is no way that 65% of the people in the United States of America are Christians. The road is narrow, and few find it, Jesus said. The road to destruction is broad and well-traveled, and that's the only poll survey that we need to pay attention to. Good question, Scott. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to West Texas and talk with Richard on line one. Richard, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi. Uh, I'm seeking the kingdom of God first. Um, I've tried hard to uh, to do that, <clears throat> and many decisions I've made have made it where I'm always in a low-paying job, uh, minimum wage, and <clears throat> and stuck, and then laid off, and uh, struggled with debt a lot. <clears throat> I'm trying to. Um, my life is. I feel miserable because I'm I'm just always struggling with uh, you know, people that have emergency needs and things like that. Say they're going to pay me back and they don't, and I'm always struggling with that. I'm trying to to please God uh, with my choices and uh, putting Him first. But then uh, maybe it's just because I'm not smart enough. It seems like uh, Jesus would have said. No, this is only for the disciples. Uh, everybody else has to work, you know, 80 hours a week. You have to, you know, that's the most important thing is to just work, 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 uh, so that you're not slaves. Help me, please. <laughs> yeah, you know, Richard, let me, let me comment on this because this is an important thing, I think, for all of us, not just you, but for all of us to understand when Jesus is seeking first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added to you. By definition, just just parsing out that one sentence uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, it means that if you were really seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness above any and every other priority, you wouldn't be worried about your circumstance. Um, Lord, I, I, you know, Paul talks about learning the secret of being content. I think that secret is, is as I say all the time, just be with Jesus. But that secret is, uh, Lord, to be in your will is all I desire. And he never promises us, Richard, that when we're right in your will, that things aren't going to be hard. Um, Richard, our, our church is a, a good example. Uh, we've been here for 27 years and we've never had any money. And God asks us to give everything away for free. And that's what we do. Um, with free school, free medical care. Uh, we have a, a fully staffed doctor's office. Um, um, uh, free home for people to live in. Um, uh, why women who are, who are struggling uh, to put their lives back together after being abused or, or being in trouble, whatever it is. Um, and we never ask for money. We never let our needs be known. And it would be so much easier. At least sometimes it feels like it would be so much easier if I could just stand before the church and say, we need you to really give. We need you to be generous. But the reality is God said we can't do that. And the, the truth is, even though we have had unbelievable financial struggles over the years, um, here we are 27 years later, and we're still privileged to be doing the work that God has called us to do. And then here's the, the, the key. We're right in the middle of his will and there is great contentment. I don't long for things that we don't have. I don't look at what other people have or other churches. And now I had to learn this, Richard, because my flesh is just like your flesh. I had to learn this. Uh, but but I don't 
any longer look at other churches and say, well, well, Lord, they got a really nice building and they've got money in the bank and I don't have that. I'm actually privileged to be asked to sit on boards of churches and I've got some of those churches. And I've got churches that I planted that they got way more money than we do. They don't have hardly any people, uh, but they got way more money. And I keep thinking, Lord, it'd be so much easier if we had the money. But God says, do you really want it easy? And the reality is I'm kind of whining when I get into those moments and the Holy Spirit sort of snaps me out of it. So, Richard, here's what I would would tell you to do. Ask the Lord um, with your Bible open. Ask God, what are you trying to teach me, Lord? What do I need to know? Uh, And and just lay it out. Remember uh, Hezekiah laid out the threatening letter uh, from from the, the enemy. I said, God, you read this. I can't even read it. Just say, here are my bills, Lord. What am I doing wrong? And he's going to ask you, how are you doing in terms of your financial stewardship? Uh, are you borrowing money? You said you're in debt. Uh, you know, uh, if, if you don't make a lot of money, you certainly ought not to be in debt. God will probably, if you speak to him about it, he'll tell you, I, I want you to be out of debt. You're, if you're a slave to debt, God doesn't want us to be a slave to anything but righteousness. So what you would do then is say, okay, Lord, um, am I trusting you with my money? Do you even think of it as your money or is it his money? And he's got the right to do anything and everything with your money, the money he's permitted you to make, however it is. Um, he's He's got the right to do with it whatever he wants. And and here's the, the, the thing with God, and this cannot be your motive, Richard, but the thing with God is when you are obedient, he will bless you abundantly. That doesn't mean you give to get. It just means that when you realize that, God, everything you give me is yours. I'm just a steward. What do you want me to do with your money? Then he's going to be able to trust you. And when he can trust you, uh, then you're going to experience the benefit of that. And I think, Richard, what we really need to, to, to take into perspective here is what is your view of money? Um, what kind of issues do you have with covetousness? If you're looking at other people who seem to have more than you do and you're envious, um, let God really, really do a house cleaning in your heart and bring your finances under his lordship. Um, confess to him your envy. Uh, I, I think a great example of that is Psalm 73. Read Psalm 73. Uh, do that today, Richard. Read Psalm 73. And and there was a, the psalmist there is experiencing the same thing or experienced then the same thing that you're experiencing now. But this is just one of those areas where we've got to be able to say, Lord, I want everything you want for me, nothing more, nothing less. And then you'll stop looking out at what other people have and God will fill you with such a contentment, such a peace that you will know. Now, I'm going to be honest with you here, Richard. I, I wish we had a billion dollars. I'd give it all away. I really would. But I wish we had so much that, that money never had to be an issue or consideration. I really do. And I've, I've begged God for that. But I always say, according to thy will, Lord, not mine. He knows if having a lot of money would destroy me or destroy the ministry. Um, he knows if we'd be faithful. I'd like to think I would, but the reality is um, it's it's his, I'm his, and I don't have a right to talk back to him. All I can do is find out who he is, search out his plan for my life, and be obedient in that plan. And then the power of God will rest upon us and, and it'll change everything, including your outlook on the the things of this world. Richard, thank you for the call. I appreciate it very, very much. It's good to hear from you. Three, four, well, we've only got three minutes, so I don't think I have time for another phone call. So here's a question for Marvin, from Marvin. He says, Pastor Ron, I've been going to a church for more than a year. I love the people there, but have realized the church is compromising on issues of sin. I don't want to leave, but I think I need to. Can you help? Marvin, if you're in a church, it doesn't matter how much you love the people. If you're in a church that's compromising on sin, yes, you need to leave yesterday. Why would we want to go to a church that's compromising on sin? The only reasonable explanation uh, for that is that we want to sin and we don't want to have to deal with it. 
And that's what's happening. You know, the, the, God says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And I can promise you, if they're compromising on issues of sin, then the Holy Spirit is not there in power. It doesn't mean some people aren't saved. That's not what I'm saying. But the church, God has a plan for the church. But, but holiness is like the fuel. And, and if you ever try driving a car that's completely empty, you don't go very far. Even if you can get to turn over a little bit, there's just no forward motion. Well, the same thing is true in these churches that compromise on issues of sin. They're full, and they can make a lot of noise. And to the world, it looks like they're successful, but we know that there's no power of God in there. They've got the uh, having a form of godliness, but lacking the power thereof is a perfect description of these churches. So you have been uh, wasting whatever time, Marvin, that you've been in that church when you started noticing that they're compromising with sin. That should have been your clue to, i got to get out of this church and find a Bible-teaching church. When, when you come to church and the Bible's taught, the conviction of the Holy Spirit has to fall, and it won't fall if people are compromising on sin. Hearts become hard. We grieve. We quench the Spirit of God and the work that He wants to do. And um, um, Marvin, that's just not a healthy spiritual environment to be in at all. So tell the people that you love goodbye. If they ask you why, just say, well, you know, i, I got to find a church that's really teaching the Bible and dealing with sin. Thank you, Marvin. I appreciate it very, very much. Hey, tonight at 7 o'clock, we've got our Song of Songs study, uh, really marital in- intimacy. But it, the, the story is much bigger than that. And on Sunday, I'm going to be teaching um, Jesus, the little children, bring them to me, and the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. Pastor Ken will be here next week. Send him all of your really difficult questions. I will be back, Paul and I, on July 5th. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.